John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 1404.EC0410, certificate number 33008. Vesna Bulevich. Did it hurt when you fell from heaven? Vesna Bulevich. One of those. Vesna Vulevic. No, that's this it's a Vulevich. It's got yeah, it's a it's a Serbian Vulevich. I can never quite figure out the v the vb oh the, in it's, slavic it's halfway between v and b no well, i don't know the Vesna, uh, Vesna. The, i was looking up serbo croatian pronunciation for just this very reason not because i'm oh you weren't doing that like not a because week i'm ago? such a well-read guy <laughs> and it turns out that the ch sound at the end of these words you know like milosevic or whatever yeah. um it says it's like the ch in cheap but it's also like a y it's like a y Chip. how yeah, can it, how can it how can it be like a Y? There's n- there, CH is not Y adjacent. It, re- it it requires that you pronounce Y differently. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, it's a Serbo-Croatian Y. And then you go down the rabbit sure, hole. Sure, it's just uh, endlessly The Serbo-Croatian Y is quite a bit like an R. Uh, you, as a as someone with a pilot's license, as someone oh, who has been a pilot. Former, former someone with a pilot's license. Ex-pilot. Yeah. Uh, does that affect how you how confident you feel aboard commercial air travel yeah i mean but by the by the way there's no commercial air travel right now (laughs) but by the time this gets added to the time capsule in august it might be kind of gradually coming back we hope yeah inshallah i mean you can fly on a delta airlines flight right now there but don't say inshallah they won't let you on (laughs) (laughs) only say it after the plane's in the air that's right uh there are like what did they say they were like uh, averaging 20 people a flight right now but I so, saw a picture of that United flight that had like, you know, because they said they were going to leave people out of middle seats because then, of course, no one gets sick. Right. If you're, sure. if, if you're, no one has to, if you're just walk in a, past one another, if you're just in a metal tube <laughs> with people sitting one seat away from you, recirculated air, you'll never get sick. What was the picture of the United flight? It was, every seat was full. Oh, man. That's not social distancing. I guess those are just people that requested middle seats. <laughs> I really want, for some reason, I have to go to Memphis and I really want a middle seat. There are, there are things about air travel uh, when you're just like anything. When you have a little bit of experience of the science of it, you're it's it's less spooky, right? You don't feel like flying in a jet involves any magic, and so when you know the plane wants to fly, the plane wants to fly, and so it would it requires a lot for a plane just in normal weather to experience any stress enough stress that it would affect the plane flying. 
So you don't feel stress either? Uh, no. I mean, if a plane like drops 3,000 feet in a second, I feel my stomach go up. But I know that that's like uh, not going to break the plane. You know, when planes crash, it's always human error or mechanical failure. It's sure. never like, oh, no, we got hit with a wind. And yeah, it's not as precarious as it feels. But, you know, having been doing it, having started flying at a young age, because I was pretty young when we moved overseas. Yeah. You know, just doing these transatlantic flights is almost as far back as I can, transpacific flights almost as far back as I can remember. Uh, it really does just feel like I'm in a car. Like, I don't really have the sense that I'm in a precarious situation 18, I just feel 18 like, hours of some of those flights yeah, yeah. I, I just feel like i'm in the magic tube that that turns seattle into seoul or san francisco into singapore when the plane does its uh its various rotations right when the when the nose wheel comes up and the and you feel the plane kind of um at takeoff s- you mean? Uh, at takeoff when it, when it slips the surly bonds of earth <laughs> right uh, I always feel very excited, and I'm just like that's always a thrilling moment to me when I see that that nose come up, and I it's um, a, yeah, it's a happy time. I like to be in that in that moment. Um, Pure potentiality, yeah. but I'm but I'm often sitting next to people who for whom that is their least favorite moment of the of the weekend. Yeah. I mean, I, I I did a tour, or I had a, a good friend who was a rock musician, and she had tremendous flight anxiety, and she would sit every bone and muscle tensed. Tears streaming down her face every time the plane did anything. From you know, if the pilot like pulled back, reduced the throttle, she would just uh, imagine the end times every time. I wonder to what degree fear of flying is something innate. Where even if a person knew nothing about, you know, if she knew nothing about jet travel, just that combination of vibrations and the f- sense of altitude you get in your inner ear and the ground falling away, if all that is the thing, or if you have to live in a culture that has movies about plane crashes and news reports about hijackings. And I mean, is that what creates the fear of flying or like, is the human being just wired so that a lot of us don't like those sensations? If you were a pre-technological person and were just sort of sitting in a cave and all of the sensations of air travel were visited upon you. You'd be a prophet. The, 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 the You'd be the shaman now. <laughs> but just, I mean, just the sound and the vibration, yeah. like you're saying, and the pressure change. Uh, yeah, it would portend a disaster. I, I, uh, I took my daughter flying uh, from a young age, right? For, for yeah. the same reasons. I mean, we, we travel and I... Commercial I like, travel, you're not yeah. flying. Uh, well, but I did take her in a small plane. Mm. Uh, we flew up to San Juan's, and she was old enough to uh, to apprehend most of what was happening. But we left from Lake Union on, in a float plane, yeah. and we were looking out the window, and the plane gets going, and she's like, wow, you know, the, we're moving fast on the lake. And then the plane lifted off, and she was stunned and fascinated until we got to about... 200 feet. And then she absolutely looked away from the window and didn't want to look out the window Hmm. and couldn't be convinced to look out the window. How old was she? She was probably just under three. Hmm. And then once the plane was at 1500 feet, she could look back out the window Hmm. and, and, uh, and now we were, you know, now you're looking at a, at a landscape. It's true that drones give us that uncanny valley we never used to see between high building and 
what aerial view right um right where and movies now use that to great effect that we can actually get photography from that level but that's something we never used to see because and i think you're right it's a little it's a little upsetting it's close enough to to realize i'm not on the ground and there's the ground and it's a long way down and not far enough that it's like a a pretty picture yeah the at a certain altitude right it just becomes sort of uh it's a oil painting yeah right so, so watching her <clears throat> go through that, I did have a sense of, you know, that a that a a, a primitive mind uh, <laughs> is going to <laughs> is going to struggle with that cro magnon man <laughs> or a three year old. Like you can you can you can absolutely get it when you're at the height of a tree. You you can you've you've watched the transition, but between like you were saying about drones, between the height of a tree and and feeling fully in the sky our minds are are struggling to grasp. And that's, you know, in a commercial airliner that that uncanny valley passes in a matter of seconds. Right. Unless you're on long approach to LAX <laughs> where, where you're like, wow, I, how how many like <laughs> miles of these houses are there? <laughs> uh the yeah, I guess that goes against my theory which is that people who are scared of flying just didn't fly as kids. Like those are people who flew later in life. I think that's a pretty sound rule of thumb. Well, <clears throat> have you never had, a, as an adult, an experience of being on an airplane and suddenly being uncomfortable and, and, and having to ask yourself, like, wait a minute, I've been doing this since I was born. I know every aspect of this. Why am I suddenly... I've had that in turbulence, but I've never had an existential moment of, wait, I'm floating six miles in the air. What am I thinking? No, not that, but just the claustrophobia of being in a... It's not even the technology of it, but just the the social aspect of being. No, the claustrophobia bothers you sometimes. I mean, I'm I'm claustrophobic in 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 a lot of ways, but mildly. But sometimes it hits you and you know there mid-flight. was during the the long, height of the long winters touring. You know, I would do fifty, sixty flights a year, and one time I got onto a, a wide body jet. I was flying from Seattle to Frankfurt. It was a full flight. And it was back in the day when I bought the cheapest ticket I could. So you're in the middle of the four across somewhere in the back? Like all the way in the back. I always tried to get a, a an aisle seat, but I was one seat in, Yeah. you know, so middle seat in the very back of the plane. And I sat down. Plus people get to line up uh, to the bathroom next to you. That's yeah, like. there's that. And then the, the, the girl next to butts. me was, um, ch- chose this flight to Frankfurt to uh, detox from crystal meth or whatever. She was just like really coming down off of drugs. And I, and we were still on the ground. We hadn't, we'd pulled back from the gate and I looked up at, I looked ahead at, and it's a wide body jet, right? So it's just a massive environment. And I could see up the aisle far enough to get a sense of like, and then there's the next section of the jet and then the next section. And I, uh, I said to myself, what are you doing? You cannot possibly be in this environment for 10 hours. Like you know, and uh, that, and it was a fight or flight reflex. And all of a sudden, you know, my, my, uh, flop sweat and, and fast breathing. She thinks you're detoxing. Well, she she was, you know, she was pulling the (laughs) hair out of her, out of her temples. You know, she wasn't worried about me, but, but I sat for a second and was like, okay, well, you, you know, we're down to options now. 
are you going to be the one that stands up at the back of the airplane and starts yelling, let me off? No, you're not going to be that one. And so there, so the option of sitting back here and having a panic attack is not an option because short of getting off the plane, your only other option is to calm down and sit here for 10 hours. You were able so, to talk yourself out of your panic attack? Yeah, in that instance, because I'd never had a panic attack before at that point. And so I didn't get into the thing that now having had a few and realizing that the danger of panic attacks is that you start to panic about having a panic this attack. This happens to me with insomnia, right? Like right. if you if you've never had insomnia, you're like, uh, I'll probably fall asleep. But once you start to have insomnia, you're like, wait, what if I don't fall I'll asleep? Never fall asleep again. <laughs> and panic, you know, when panic gets a hold of you, then you're just like, I can't control this panic attack, which which like no, exacerbates I'm panicking it. about that. It's a meta panic yeah. attack. And at the time I was just like, look, two choices, right? Chicken or fish. Right. Like <laughs> like <laughs> deal or bail. And you can't bail. It's inconceivable for you to bail. And so you have to deal. The one time I was scared on a flight as a kid, because I've, I've never had that kind of, I've never had a, a panicky uh, issue. Like I've been on flights that had plenty of turbulence, but I often find it exciting. I guess I was on yeah. one little regional flight from Seoul down to Jeju, an island off the southern coast of korea where the flight literally for the full 90 minutes is doing this back and forth like, like a, rocking like, a cradle like newton's cradle or whatever <laughs> and uh uh and we were sitting right by the bathroom and on at least two occasions somebody ran for the bathroom and on one occasion they didn't make it uh, and so there's just vomit uh, soju vomit splattered all over the oh, no. wall right next to us and i'm kind of a sympathetic barfer but i didn't do it um, so that's not pleasant, but the one time I remember as a kid is we're coming in on approach to, I don't even know where, maybe SeaTac, and you know, you hear, you, you hear, you know, the checklist, like the, you know, the flaps are going to go, you know, what sound is the flaps going down and what sound is the landing gear going down? And you hear the ping for 10,000 feet and you know, you've got all this down and I was probably eight years old and, but then there's some other sound I'd never heard before. Crank. And I or said, yeah, and I, so, yeah, some <laughs> quasi mechanical sound. I said to my dad, Hey, what's that? And he was like, I don't know. I've never heard that before. And that kind of unnerved me. And then he said something which I will never forget. He said, <laughs> uh, if something happens, you know, if something happens to you on a commercial flight, it's pretty much over. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure he has no memory of saying that. <laughs> and maybe he would say he would never say that. But that's what he said to an eight-year-old. You I know, love if, your dad. If something mechanical happens on a commercial flight, it's pretty much over. Like, <laughs> maybe he meant it to be comforting. Like, there's never any survivors. <laughs> Put your head between your knees. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be quick. Because you're asking goodbye. It's going to be quick. Um, but I still think about that. I'll, anytime I hear some unexpected noise on a plane, I, I think about that. Uh, it's pretty much over. It's pre- You know, it's, if something happens, it's pretty much, you know, there's two kinds of flights. The kind where nothing bad happens and everybody lands safely, or the kind where one thing goes wrong and no one <laughs> lands safely. And that is generally true. There's a lot of pe- not a lot of people walk away from plane crashes, except in kind of mystical movies and TV shows, Jeff Bridges wandering out of a cornfield. Well, growing up in Alaska, you know, people are very blase about aviation there because everybody's a you know, so, everybody has to fly. It's the only way to get there. And there are more small plane pilots uh, than anywhere else in the world by a by a large margin. And so, growing up, I had a lot of uh, experiences. I mean, even in the in the jumbo jets of not jumbo jets, but the but the the jets of the 1970s. I landed in Ketchikan one time in um, 
in a 707 or something. Whiteout conditions, absolute blizzard, crazy blizzard. And it was one of those landings where uh, when the plane finally did get its landing gear on the ground and st- and then and then had to figure out how to like skid to a stop on this ice uh, runway, the <clears throat> the whole plane broke into not just applause but like screw like like sports stadium applause because it was so improbable that we were going to survive this approach and <laughs> landing. You know, it was it was way before there were any. These pilots were just flying with with. Uh, IFR just using their basically their wit to put the plane on the ground. But also I've been in planes where you could see the ground through the crack between the door and the fuselage, like planes that I I watched yeah, the guy I, I, Yeah, I flew Horizon also. <laughs> <laughs> I watched the guy put some duct tape on the, you know, the wow. thing before. And you know, my dad was in a plane crash. A lot of these guys crashed their planes. And the first thing I my dad said to me when I finally got him on the phone after his crash, he was in like Fort Rupert, Prince Rupert or something in Canada. The Mounties came and pulled him out of the forest. First thing he said was, boy, I wish you'd been with me. <laughs> like, you, you really missed out. Yeah, as soon as I crashed, I was like, oh, John missed it. And I was like, <laughs> God, you know, you're, you're so right. It's like a, a rite of passage. We have two different kinds of dads. <laughs> like that's the story right there. <laughs> Assumes he will walk away from plane crash versus... Assumes he will not. Assumes everyone will <clears throat> die. Uh, but in most cases, everyone does die. It's, it's, it's why it's a good thing there's almost no plane crashes in the, I mean, commercial plane crashes anymore. The margin of error is pretty slim. Planes are big. They're full of gas. They're moving fast. And that's a bad combination. Sometimes a little thing will happen and like a side panel will blow off a Southwest jet and it'll make an emergency landing or the roof will peel off of that Hawaiian airline. <laughs> Do you remember that? <laughs> of course. Are you kidding? What a great day. And every, you know, and, and everyone, you know, everyone's shaken up and what a crazy thing, but you know, that's the kind that everybody walks away from or, you know, a couple a, of people got sucked out. Oh, the Hawaiian one. Yeah. There uh, were, there were some people that did the Southwest one. Everybody. I mean, that's what they get for wanting a window seat. I'm a window seat guy. I can say that. Well, so you, you must play that game with people who believe that there's some place on a plane that's safer than other places. The people that are like, you got to sit in the back. I was told it was the back. Yeah. Is that true? I think it's somebody statistically crunched the numbers of people that walked away from a flight. And my uncle Jack in 1947, that might just mean by the way that cheap people survive, cheap people survive. My uncle Jack was in a, a flight, uh, the students of Yale University from Seattle had chartered a DC-3 to fly them all back to Yale in 1948, I guess. And my Uncle Jack was in the plane. He was he played on the Yale football team. And on the runway, there was suddenly a fire. And he was sitting by the back door. You know, DC-3 is a tail dragger. Mm-hmm. He was sitting closest to the back door and he popped the door and hopped out and everyone else on the plane died. (gasps) The plane burned, you know, like instantly engulfed in flames. And he just thought, I'm not going to wait to be told. I guess back then you didn't. Like back then we were not a wait to be told society. Yeah. And I think the door, it's not, those planes weren't 
um, it's not a, not a thing where the, like sitting at the terminal, the, the jet was pre it wasn't a jet, but the plane wasn't pressurized. You know, the, the opening the door sure. was just like, turn a the car. handle. It's like a car. And he to just was there. So I think he assumed he was going to jump out and then everyone was going to follow him. Today, but there'd be 10 psychological barriers keeping you from doing anything that six voices hadn't told you to do over the PA, <laughs> you know? Well, maybe for you, oh, I'd be, I'd be right out the. You'd be hammering a, you'd be fashioning some kind of ax from your seatbelt and hammering out your window. Every time a, a flight attendant says, comes over and says, you're sitting in an exit row. Can, you know, are you prepared to help in I'm like, right. At, I'm way ahead of her. I'm just like, I am ready. <laughs> Tell me what to do. I will be there. I have studied the, I have studied the brochure. I just say yes and think no, like everyone else. I just say, yes, I want the leg room. And they, they accept that. <laughs> but I think uh, I think my uncle Jack, you know, has over the years had to deal with quite Survivor's a bit of guilt? a little of guilt. He knew everybody on the plane, right? They were all college like friends, teammates. I mean, did the Yale football program ever come back? No, it wasn't just football players, oh, right? Okay. It was just everybody in the Northwest oh. that was going back to Yale after Christmas or something like that. And um, but yeah, a real catastrophe. And I I've asked him about it, like how could a plane be so engulfed so fast. And he was like, it just happened. It just happened instantly. Survivor's guilt is a real thing that I've been lucky enough never to experience, but it, it is something that uh, Vesna Volovich had to think about for the last 40 years of her life. Uh, on January 26th, 1972, uh, she was a air hostess, as they were then called probably, for uh, the Yugoslavian flag carrier, J-A-T. Did you ever fly? J I flew Aeroflot, but I never flew J-A-T. I don't think that J-A-T was still in, in business. J-A-T became Air Serbia at some point in the, some point in our, in our adult lives. Yeah. But. But at the time she was probably wearing a pillbox hat and yes. white gloves. She's wearing a. Matching pumps. Turquoise. She's wearing mm -hmm. a, a turquoise color, which actually figures into the story. Um, she's a, uh, you know, Yugoslavia, Tito's Yugoslavia was a little more open to the West yeah. than the rest of the Eastern Bloc because he was a, he was a free thinker. He, he tried to set he's, himself. He's like a never Trumper for Stalin. Yeah. He tried to set himself as in a middle place between the East and West. Which means that like low budget Vincent Price movies might film in Yugoslavia, for yeah. example. Like there was a, there was more cultural and commercial exchange with the West on our other on on my other program, uh, the war movie podcast Friendly Fire, we routinely watch war movies from the seventies uh, that are that are filmed in Yugoslavia. Force Ten from Navarone, one hundred percent Yugoslavia. <laughs> and, and the thing about it is that he that Tito also had <clears throat> all this World War II armament, tanks ah. and jeeps and stuff that he kept to rent to uh, to film people you know all these like vintage tanks that still ran he probably wanted parades for himself too well, but sure. you know you pay the you pay the rent on those with who doesn't want the with tanks. studio fees so because of that uh vesna vulovich had actually tasted a bit of the west she'd spent some time in stockholm and london as a teen and really liked the uh you know it was the late 60s she she preferred that to belgrade and her parents were not into that and insisted she come home. Uh, uh, you know, they're just, you know, shop employees or sure. gym instructors or something. Regulars. They're regular, Snorks. regular socialist economy. Uh, what passes for the middle class. I'm sure a bleak concrete apartment somewhere in Belgrade. 
and a cool phone though they had really cool phones that's that's one thing i learned from the east german museum when i was in berlin <laughs> really really great phones These bakelite phones really gorgeous sometime i want to do an omnibus about those european phones you sometimes see in french movies where it's got a third receiver coming out the back have you ever heard of these like a third speaker Mm-mm. that comes out the back of the phone Mm-mm. so in addition to the receiver there's like this second pod on a cord that comes out the back and i don't know if it's for a second person to listen in oh Sometimes you'll see the person hold the receiver up to one ear and this to the other. Do you have stereo? Oh. I'm amazed by these. Oh. Anyway, so uh, so she has a friend who becomes a stewardess, and she decides she's going to do the same because then at least she'll get to travel a little. And she's only been on the job, I think, like less than a year when she's assigned to flight 367 that morning in January coming back. for It's an afternoon flight coming back from Stockholm to Belgrade. Uh, with stops in Copenhagen and Zagreb. I don't know what kind of a... Whoa, it's a real zigzag. I know. Well, plus it's like you're never going to be in the the air for that long. Stockholm to Copenhagen is like... And then to Zagreb, you're you're going all the way across. But yeah, why the... uh, Not for long. I I guess I don't understand why. Who are those passengers that want to do some combination of those cities? People getting on in Zagreb in order to go to Belgrade. Is that... Oh, maybe. That's the last leg. So everybody just sits on the plane in Zagreb? Is there skiing in Zagreb? No. Well, yeah. I mean, it's close enough. But maybe not in 1972. Nobody's flying from Scandinavia to go skiing in Zagreb. Oh, huh. I, there are a lot of better places between yeah. <laughs> between here, hither and thither. <clears throat> you fly right over Austria. Fesna is not even supposed to be on this flight, by the way. She gets, she gets mixed up with another flight attendant named Vesna. Maybe Vesna is the uh, Serbo-Croatian equivalent of Betty, yeah. (laughs) Or maybe all stewardesses are named Vesna. Put a Vesna in your Cessna. Sure. Uh, Ding! So that morning at the... You got to get your air horn going. I know. That morning, at least when she tells the story many times in hindsight, she explains the many forebodings that she had of something bad that was going to happen later that day. Oh. And maybe this is common. She She had a dream? Uh, it's the, basically the time she spends with the other members of the flight crew. She wants to sightsee in Stockholm, but they just all want to shop yeah. because of course these are goods you can't get in, in Tito's Yugoslavia. So they all just want to go buy teapots shaped like rabbits. Yes. Brandy. Cute, cutesy American garbage. And maybe just like duty free type stuff. I don't know. Oh yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Maybe they, maybe <clears throat> their families live on, maybe they make a nice second income on the American the, cigarettes, the Western cigarettes they can, they can <laughs> these resolve. are called the Marlboros. <laughs> So is that halfway between a B and a V? The just just smoke camels. It's easier to say. It's not though. I had this experience what once in Morocco. I went up to a guy at like a little shop, you know, that little just shop selling candy bars and cigarettes. And I was like, "Give me a pack of camels." And that guy said, "Huh?" <laughs> and I said, "Camels, camel cigarettes." And he was like, "Huh?" You have to say "ship of the desert." That's what they call it there. <laughs> I said, "Camel." A camel, like a camel, and the guy's like, "No, you know, like just shaking his head." I was like, Cam- "Camel, camel, camel, camel." He's like, "No, no," and I'm, I'm I'm getting more and more frustrated. I don't know another way to say camel. Tell me this ended with you drawing a camel. I'm pointing. I'm pointing at it. You know, I'm I'm trying to mime a camel, and he looks over his shoulder and he reaches up and pulls a pack of cigarettes down and goes, "Winston." <laughs> And honestly, I started smoking Winston's that day. <laughs> he was pranking you. I think this so. This guy messed with your life. At the time, I, I, I thought he was being serious, but 
anyway, the flight crew out uh, buying cigarettes and whatnot, they, uh, everybody seems a little bit on edge. Everybody hmm. seems, um, uh, like just kind of living for today in a weird way. Maybe this is just, I, I assume this is what happens later coloring her memories of that day. Right. But she thinks of it as a very odd day where, um, there's ev- a fatalism. Yeah. Everybody knows something bad is going to happen. And, uh, the, the, I don't know, the co-pilot won't even leave his room or something. Whoa. Um, as, uh, as they're leaving Copenhagen, she's, she and other stewardesses see a passenger get off who's visibly agitated. Uh-oh, bad sign. Yes. <clears throat> and, and they just wonder what, you know, what was up with this guy that nobody thinks, should we actually ask what was up with this guy was one of his eyes uh one of the lenses of his glasses blacked out <laughs> yes. and was there a glowing item in the trunk of his car <laughs> he was talking into his cuff <laughs> uh no i mean and and we have no way to connect this guy to what eventually happened but at the time she thought well that guy's bad news uh the plane takes off from copenhagen on its way to zagreb and just 45 minutes later over Central Europe, there's an explosion from the baggage compartment, mm. which in hindsight, everyone now wonders if this guy just checked his bag and got off at Copenhagen. Because at the time you could do that. Now there's weird protocols in place to make sure the hijacker dies in his own explosion. <laughs> we're not going to, we can't prevent bombs, but we're going to make sure that if you get off, your luggage gets off too. Um and so over northern Czechoslovakia, the plane breaks into multiple pieces at 33,000 feet. Now, at the time, there had been a wave of Croatian nationalist terrorism against Yugoslavia, which was a kind of a nonsense state stitched together from a bunch of different Balkan minorities, as anybody who lived through the 1990s remembers when it started to come unstitched. All the Slavs. Various kinds of Slavs. Yugo. Slavs. What does Yugo even mean? I should. We looked this up once. If it just means land of the United Slavs or yeah. freedom of all the Slavs or bad import cars of the Slavs, I think or it's. I think it's Yugo a, girl who is a Slav. People assume Yugoslavia means uh, like United Slavs, but it really means South Slavs. Yugo mm. meaning the, South, not all, United. Where'd all the North Slavs go? The North Slavs are Russians, Ukrainians, Belarusians. Those are North Slavs. Fair enough. And then South Slavs are Serbs, Croats, um, Bosnians. North Slavs be driving their cars like this. That's right. South Slavs be driving their Yugos. Bulgarians also South Slavs. Bulgarians. Yeah, you got to watch out for the Bulgarians. The Thracians of yore. You never, you never expect the Bulgarians. <laughs> They're not Thracians though, right? They're Slavs. They came down. They killed all the Thracians. That's right. They kicked the, the Thracians right out. Ken, I've noticed that your hair has taken on a a new luster uh, lately. You know, it seemed for a while there, I didn't want to say anything, but it was getting a little thin on top. But now, wow, you're you're fairly bursting with hair. <laughs> Only his hairdresser knows for sure. I actually was getting a little thin on top. And yeah. so I actually started looking into like effective treatments that you can do to, I mean, not just reverse hair loss, although that's possible, but mostly to prevent it. Right. Like you get, you get the most bang for your buck in like starting to treat it before the thinning gets too bad. Sure. Well, there are a lot of people out there right now that want to collect a little bit of Ken Jennings hair in a vial. What would they do with it? Well, they use it as a talisman. They, uh, are they they going to clone me? 
No, they'd just sort of like, you know, rub it between their finger and thumb whenever they needed to, well, they needed a wish. Like if they're, if they're thoughtful about something. Yeah, they'd like, be like, how, how am I going to solve this problem? Trying to remember an answer on the SAT and Get they- my little- Ken Jennings hair vial. Well, I gave away too many samples is what happened. Mm, I see. And now it's getting a little thin up there. Uh, and that's why I'm very glad this entry in the Omnibus is sponsored by Keeps, uh, a service um, to help treat uh, male pattern baldness by uh, providing online consultation so you can get the hair loss treatment you need without having to mess around with a doctor's office and a pharmacy line. I wish that it could grow eyebrows for either one of us extremely <laughs> blonde, white-faced, eyebrowless people. Imagine how glamorous you and I would look with eyebrows. If only I'm going through the talking points here about Keeps, and it seems like a fine service, but they are not promising big, beautiful, bushy eyebrows. Right. Oh, well. So we may need to find a different sponsor. But for everything from the forehead up, uh, Keeps has more five-star rec- reviews than any of its competitors and nearly a hundred thousand customers and it's affordable it starts at just ten dollars a month i mean how much would you pay to retain your hair if you were losing it it's certainly more than ten dollars i think so right can you even put a price on that i don't even know if i can Hmm. i'm gonna put a price on it but i'm gonna say it's 75 dollars a month is what you should be willing to pay to keep your hair. When you think about it, this is a huge discount over that number you just made up. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> if you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com slash omnibus and you'll get your first month of treatment for free. Can you say the URL again, John? That's keeps, K-E-E-P-S dot com slash omnibus. So there had been, you know, in this time period, the, you know, this decade around the early 70s, there were, there were hundreds of threats of t- and, and terrorist actions by Croatian nationalists who wanted a Tito-free Croatia. self-rule. They wanted, yeah. Because they had all those nice beaches and they knew that the, the tourists from Brighton would come down. And- if they would just keep a strip six miles wide to keep the Serbs <laughs> off their beaches and the Bosnians off their beaches. Um, and, so, and so there were, I don't think there were many acts of air terrorism on this scale, but the same day that JAT-367 blew up over Czechoslovakia, there was a, a, a train explosion in Yugoslavia. And, uh, and hours after this incident, a Croatian separatist group claimed... Um, responsibility for both. Oh, really? So there, there is reason to think this is an act of inter-Yugoslav terror uh, that probably didn't trouble the West that much until, you know, 20 years later when Clinton sent in NATO. But it seems like if a plane, if a plane explodes over Central Europe, there would be enough evidence to investigate and come to some conclusion, right? Yes. There was an investigation, which was actually carried out, you know, Probably, and it's probably a diplomatic nightmare, some plane between different sides of the Iron Curtain. Um, the black boxes were examined in Amsterdam with authorities from both Western European uh, air traffic and Yugoslavian officials there. So there was an investigation, but there was never any definitive, uh, you know, nobody was ever brought to justice, huh. I guess, for the attack. And uh, of course, when a plane blows into multiple pieces at 33,000 feet, it's catastrophic. You know, the cabin immediately depressurized. There were 28 people aboard, um, most of whom were sucked out, Hawaiian Air style. It's not super aloha. Um, temperatures are 60 below. Uh, it's it's really, really 
inhospitable conditions. It's no it's longer the, the friendly zone. It's no longer the friendly skies. Yes, <laughs> right. it's the death zone, as the rejected airline slogan says. <laughs> At the time of the explosion, Vulovich was apparently, by most accounts, in the rear of the plane. So there, you, there go. you go. And wedged. Uh, I mean, not at the time, but after the explosion, was wedged between some kind of. Uh, uh, Bulkhead. I just lost the word for what a wall is in, in the air. There it is. It's a bulkhead. Bulkhead. And the food cart. So, you know, next time you have a panic attack in the back of a wide body jet, just wedge yourself between the bulkhead and the food cart and see if the flight attendants let you get away with That's that. That's immediately where I go. <laughs> You're like, sir, take your I'm seat. Just, I'm just trying to see if you have if you have diet, uh if you have if you have fresca. Sir, we don't have fresca. Um and uh so she plummets to earth in the back of this in this chunk of the fuselage from thirty three thousand feet. Oh, she's not thrown out of the plane. She stays in she, the she tail. She stays wedged. Oh, uh, and in some part of the fuselage, in some accounts it's the tail, in some part it's a slightly forward chunk of the fuselage. But either way, it's toward the rear of the plane, and she lands on a hillside, or this bit chunk of the plane lands on a hillside. You're kidding me. She rides it all the way northern down northern Czechoslovakia and lands on a on a, a, a you know it's a snowy forest. Yeah. So it's it's the the fall is at least hypothetically cushioned twice, once by tree branches and then once by six feet of snow. Well, and also probably by whatever drag the tail section. I mean, if if the if it had the entire tail with the you know the, the ailerons the, the and whatnot, thing, yeah, uh, it could have slowed the descent a little, maybe. And plus, you don't need. I mean, thirty-three thousand feet is not ten times worse than three thousand feet. It's exactly right. the same because of terminal velocity. Terminal velocity. Because of the density of the atmosphere, uh, there's only so fast you can fall. Uh, otherwise, if if there if there was no atmosphere, you could keep accelerating forever, or at least until you hit northern Czechoslovakia. And but, northern Czechoslovakia is a very mountainous region, but the border of Czechoslovakia and Poland is uh, kind of the beginning of the foothills of the Carpathian Mountains, and it's um, or not not foothills. What am I saying? It's it's a it's a proper mountain range, and it's not Eastern Europe. We don't want to call Czech, the, the Czech Republic Eastern Europe. Central Europe. They get very angry because <laughs> you know we grew up in a time when if. If there's tanks rolling in, it's Eastern Europe. Right. It it doesn't matter what the map says, uh, and but it, it's fairly close to a it's a it's a rural mountainous area, but it's fairly close to a village, and very soon after the crash, uh, a woodman named Bruno Honky. See, this is what I miss about the world. We don't have any woodmen anymore. Good thing there was a woodman and there. And woodmen used to do so much work. Well, yeah, deforestation. <laughs> well, that, but also didn't, weren't woodmen, didn't they rescue um, Little Red Riding Hood? Sure. Like, they're always attacking the, the big bad wolf. Yeah. They're, they've got a good fairy tale representation, better than most jobs. Right. Everybody back then was a woodman or a cobbler. <laughs> if you couldn't fix shoes, you were a woodman. That's, that was the difference between blue collar and white collar back then. Uh, and he, he comes up to, he um, is the first one on the side, or at least the first person to find this chunk that has fallen intact. And he sees a pair of legs sticking out Wicked Witch of the East style <laughs> with uh, these turquoise uh, Serbian air stiletto heels uh, on them, but the heels knocked off by the impact. Oh so her God. shoes are still on, despite... You've heard of these accounts where explosions knock people's shoes off somehow? Yeah. Which have always mystified me. Like, the shoes seem like the part of my outfit that's the 
the most firmly attached to me. It I, took the, it took the longest to, to pry them onto my body. I guess I always assumed that you were just knocked out of your shoes. That the shoes stayed on the ground with smoke coming out. Of them. Yeah, <laughs> but still, think how unlikely that is. Like of all yeah. the parts of your body you could launch out of, like you know. My 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 shirt, I didn't have to leverage onto myself, but I have a separate spoon by my front door to let, to pry my shoes onto my feet. Right. And yet, people are just blowing out of their shoes at all times. Anyway, in her case, her shoe stayed on, but the stiletto heels that uh, Tito was making her wear had blown off. Well, it's that cheap Yugoslav shoe. <laughs> right. Those cobblers, right? They should have been woodmen. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she should have bought nicer Danish shoes while she was there. <laughs> Instead, she wanted to sightsee. She wanted to go to Tivoli. Luckily, Bruno Honky uh, is both a honky and a medic. He carried stretchers for Hitler bah! in the in the Great War thirty years earlier, uh, and so he is able to uh, administer first aid to Ms. Vulovic. He's surprised to find she's still breathing, although in a coma, and gets her back to civilization. Uh, she's in a coma for days. Uh, but she finally awakes. Not, not her body isn't broken as she's protected by this food cart and she's not, she, her body is incredibly broken. I see. Her skull is fractured. She has three, she's three, uh, vertebrae broken. She's broken both her legs in multiple places. Hmm. She has multiple broken legs and a fractured pelvis. She has multiple broken legs? Yes. How many? Sorry. She has both (laughs) legs broken in multiple places. Right. Okay. okay. (laughs) (laughs) And, but that's, you know, two, two is multiple. Sure. I would say. You're right. I mean, you're on the record as thinking three is a couple. Three is a couple. Do you think two is multiple? I'm going to fight. I'm going to, I'm going to fight for that. That's the hill I'll die on. (laughs) Because the internet loves it. Yeah. The internet agrees with you unanimously yeah, on this. Three is a couple. My daughter agrees, but her mother doesn't, and my mother doesn't. I think many men are in the situation of thinking three is a couple and having the women in their life disagree. I, uh, huh. hmm. Anyway, she is uh, broken. Her body is broken in so many places. Nobody can believe she's alive. And of the other 27 people on this DC-10, there are no other survivors. But when she wakes up in a Czech hospital, and I guess because she wakes up in a Czech hospital, do we have to, is this a defenestration? Does it count as a? Wow. Well, no, because she didn't actually, she's, she, the window fell with her. Is the circle formed (laughs) by the, by the fuselage cracking in half of a DC-10, does that become a window when it opens up? I wonder. Uh, I don't know. But the doctors cannot believe that when she comes out of the coma, she is paralyzed from the waist down, but apparently okay. The first thing she does is ask for a cigarette. Here, here. <laughs> a woman after my own heart. Uh, and uh, she's told she's going to be paralyzed from the waist down. But in fact, within a year, she is up and walking. Although with a limp, she'll walk with a limp for the rest of her life. Um, that seems reasonable. But nobody can understand how she could have survived. Uh, there are a few different explanations we've talked about the snow right and the trees uh her doctors wondered if perhaps her congenital she had low blood pressure her whole life and apparently there's an upside to having low blood pressure like she passed out early with lack of oxygen before anybody else were and maybe that helped her uh maybe flop around in a more uh life-preserving manner Uh uh-huh uh, and also, according to in the words of her doctor, it actually it may have literally kept her heart from exploding the way it would have if there had been higher, uh, you know, uh, pressure in her blood vessels. Whoa! 
Um, and she knew she had low blood pressure. In fact, it was so low that she was really ineligible for her job. She had to drink a ton of coffee the day she had her medical exam for JAT. Really? Just to get her, her blood pressure up to normal levels. Uh, later in life, when she was asked about it, this is kind of the Jean Calmont thing where every old person has some weird explanation for what it was that saved their life. One, one Dominican cigar a day uh-huh, right. th- throughout their 90s or whatever. In her case, she credited it as a typical Serbian childhood of uh, eating a lot of spinach, fish oil, and chocolate. Sure. Well, I mean, that's... Uh, the, the trifecta. That's what I had this morning. <laughs> Spinach, uh, chocolate, and fish oil. Tell me how you... Uh, how do you eat those three things? How in do you, a in, smoothie. In a breakfast sandwich. <laughs> oh, no, breakfast sandwich sometimes, right? <laughs> <laughs> two... two uh, is there bread as well? Cinnamon rolls. Or yeah, the, uh, cinnamon rolls. I see. And then you just layer in... Chocolate, fish What, what do you put on first? Uh, chocolate first, melted into the, the bottom so, cinnamon So it's like roll. a s'more. Yeah, and then you put fish oil... And then spinach. Does this fish oil kind of glue the spinach to the chocolate? The fish oil, you know, gives it umami. <laughs> and then so does also the spinach. And then another cinnamon roll on top. And I'm talking about, you know, these are entire cinnamon rolls. You don't cut it in half. It's kind of this thing we almost don't have in the technological West, you know, in the United States today, of, of how there are certain foods that in childhood convey magical powers. The closest thing we have is chicken soup, which I assume comes from... Uh, uh, Jewish thought? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, But, you know, in other cultures, it's extremely common for everyone to explain to their doctor, well, of course I, uh, of course I'm going to beat the cancer because as a child, I ate a ton of, and then fill in the blank with some weird food, burnt burnt rice from the bottom of the rice cooker or or whatever. My mom was forced by her stepmother to take a tablespoon of blackstrap molasses every day. Does that that taste good? Is it sweet? No. I don't think it tastes good. Not by the face my mom makes when she describes having to take a tablespoon of blackstrap molasses. Blackstrap molasses is the thing that gives gingerbread that kind of dark, weird taste. Right. But you don't want to eat it straight, I guess. So when I was little, my mom had read a magazine article, Dr. Spock era, and she would, in the blender, make me a... Uh, she put this in my bottle instead of milk. Uh, she made a formula that was um, molasses... Brewer's yeast, liver, spinach. Um, like she she gave me the recipe one time. I don't think I'm going to ask you for the recipe. It had like eight ingredients. It was the it was the color and consistency of motor oil. What what theoretical benefits does it confer? Well, this had everything that this was like a superfood in 1969 terms, and she put it in my bottle. And I, and according to her, I happily drank this, um, this concoction until my sister was born. And when my sister, you know, transitioned to a bottle, my sister refused utterly to, to drink this, this slop. And so she was just given regular formula. Your sister is the smart one in the family. Yeah. And I, and according to my mom, one day at the age of, of three, um, I grabbed my sister's bottle just as a, you know, a symbol of brotherly love and took a drink from it. And she said, I had a look of total betrayal. Shocked to discover that there were foods that tasted better yeah. than brewer's yeast. And- I, I looked at her with this look of just like incredulity. And from that moment, I stopped, stopped being willing to drink my formula, but that's uh, I- why I'm so big. When you said superfood, I guess it reminded me that even though we don't have this in our folklore, this idea that 
uh, certain talismanic foods. We do want it. We crave that idea. Yeah. So every six months, there's a new news cycle about how uh, blueberries right. or, or whatever, uh, kale or, or whatever it is. Antioxidants. And we use superfood as if it conveys superhuman powers. Yeah, right. Instead, it, instead of just saying uh, a mildly more nutritious substitute for other similar foods. Which, it's going to block your betas. You, it's you, going to... Because you don't want all those betas getting in or, no, or out or wherever. Some kind of motion. They just want to be blocked. I don't know whether... You don't uh, know where they're going. Yeah, sure. You just... You just <laughs> <laughs> the benefits are conveyed by blocking them, not actually by the, the directionality. No, you're not eliminating them. You just want to piss them off. Whatever they were doing, <laughs> they're not doing now. The opposite of that. And then you never age. Did uh, you not have a superfood in your family? What was the thing that you were encouraged so, to eat? The mystical thing that my mom thought would would uh, would confer amazing benefits, and I think maybe reflected badly on us as a household if we did not have it. Cheetos. <laughs> was Cheetos. We would go to any lengths. No, was a warm breakfast. Breakfast had to be warm. Oh, you couldn't get away with just a bowl of cereal. No, a bowl of a bowl of cereal or a piece of fruit. Those aren't um those don't get you going for the day because they're not warm. You need something prepared. Oh, you know what and, this and is? Steaming this is, to put in your stomach. This is the English versus the versus the continent. Right, it's the it's the uh, yeah continental breakfast. It's the deluxe English breakfast versus the continental breakfast, and it does not mean she was making us uh, rashers of bacon and mushrooms and tomatoes. But <laughs> it's it meant too bad. But it meant that she would take uh, you know we would still be it would just be uh, cooked pop tarts instead of oh or uncooked ones or or hot cereal or hot exactly or cream of wheat instead of Lucky Charms. So it was just which was the awful because we wanted like yeah the heat is what's magic because oh. she would make the worst kinds of I mean we loved them these Pillsbury gooey glutinous, uh, nutritionless white dough that you, <laughs> exactly. But, you know, Pillsbury makes that one product yeah. that came, fell in a meteorite and they just extruded into different shapes. Yeah. And so my mom would make a pan of these, th- like sweet rolls of this, of this goo. When you open the cardboard container and the whole thing went, <laughs> that's how you know it's from space because it doesn't want to be that cylindrical shape. Like as soon as you give it the chance to be any other shape, it's like a schmoo. Schmoo. <laughs> Um, and she really, she, the, really the assumption of my childhood was that you had to have something from the oven Hot. or well, nothing it, wouldn't, loving. It, it wouldn't stick to your ribs. Yeah, exactly. She, she, she believed that slogans, um, in, uh, more recently in the two thousands, the Mythbuster guys tried to figure out how it was that Vesna Vulovich's life could have been saved. Cause she immediately went into the Guinness book of world records um, she got to go to a, she didn't travel much and she eventually got sick of getting interviewed about this stuff, but she did get to go to a Guinness book of world records soiree in London where other people were being feted and Billie Jean King was there for having the most, whatever doubles wins. And Paul McCartney was there for having the most gold records or whatever. Um, did you ever go to one of these when you were, uh, in the Guinness book of world records? I never did. I went on a special edition of who wants to be a millionaire for Guinness book of world records holders, hmm. but it was like with the, um, who was it? Was Paul McCartney there? No. Instead of Paul McCartney, the guy with the largest comic book collection. Oh. And then, and then just somebody who had done something weird in the most, the most times in a row, but it wasn't anything good. It wasn't even like spinning plates. 
I wish I could remember what it was because it was the guy who had like burped the most times in the row or something Come like on. that. But Vesna, this in a simpler time, got to hang out with Billie Jean King and and, and Maka, which right is pretty cool. Well, and of the three of those, who are you gonna be? Who are you gonna want to go talk to? I guess McCartney, but you're gonna want to go talk to the woman that fell from the if sky. She's still wearing her JAT uniform for sure, wow. and she did wear the pin until the day she died. Um, but uh, so you know, she became a bit of a celebrity. Uh, for falling 33,000 feet and surviving, as you should. If there's one thing that should confer celebrity, it is not uh, uh, having cute clothes on your YouTube channel or your Instagram. Right. It is 100% falling from 33,000 feet and then waking up and asking for a cigarette. 100%. <laughs> uh, and she became a national hero as well, by the way, in the in, in Yugoslavia. She met Tito, uh, Yugoslav, a Serbian folk, folk singer named Miroslav Ilic, wrote a song about her called... Uh, I think Vesla the stewardess, Vesla the air hostess or something. Nice. Uh, Sounds like a Zappa song, but yeah, Vesta the air hostess. And uh, Bruno, she was so famous that Bruno Honka, the, the woodman, the woodsman, is Wood- he a woodman or a woodsman? I think he's a woodsman. He's, he's he, multiple woods. He's in the woods. He's not in, I guess he he's, could be in the wood. He's not made of wood. Now that's a good question for you, Ken, etymologically. Wood seems to also be a, be a sort of collective noun. Yes. So why do we say woods and wood they, interchangeably? They're mostly interchangeably. And, uh, you know, Sondheim was told his musical had to be called Into the Woods, but woods rhymes with many fewer things than wood. Right. So it's a huge cheat. Even though the title is Into the Woods, the characters always say the wood, because then you can rhyme it with good, could, should. Um, yeah, why Why do we use this kind of synecdoche or metonymy? Like, there's more there than wood. I mean, a bunch of a bunch of a forest is wood. There's no way getting around it. Right. You you can't miss the forest for the trees. Right. The trees are full of wood. But the woods. What is the what does the woods uh, convey that the wood doesn't? It's, it's the wood is a monoculture. The wood is a Christmas tree farm with yeah, only one right. kind of wood. The wood. I guess when you say like the wood, the wood actually seems more. Uh, uh, romantic and archaic, doesn't it? Extremely romantic, but it. But I think it's because you imagine the wood as like a component of a property, you know, the wood is maybe a, a singular and, and like it's a copse, whereas the woods maybe stretches further. If you enter the wood, yeah, the wood, you know, you're going to come out the other side, whereas the woods maybe go to the county line. Yeah, Why is that? The woods is plural and yet it conveys a, a, a more known. My theory is that because wood seems a little more archaic, there's a geographic component. Like mm. woods to us conveys, in North America, woods conveys an American forest. It's it's Robert Frost or, or Thoreau. Right. Whereas a wood is something out of a European Yeah, that's fairy tale. right. It's, a, it's, um, that's the it's Black Forest of Bavaria. People always get a, mad when I say uh, the Black Forest in Bavaria because it's not. It's like a, like a, like a Milne environment or a, yes. or a, yeah. The hundred acre wood. That's right. That's huge. hundred acres. hundred acre wood, but it's still a wood. If it were a thousand acres, it would be the woods. Did you know Brian Jones of the Rolling Stones died in the Hundred Acre Wood? Brian Jones of the Rolling Stones died in a swimming pool. Yes, but a swimming pool in Ashdown Forest. I think in the house maybe where the Milnes were living. What? Really? Yeah, yeah. He was like, uh, I'm, I'm not saying that Tigger bounced him into the pool. <laughs> if you go if you go into the, the stump of an old tree, will you find Brian Williams sitting <laughs> <laughs> sitting uh, with the with, uh, Woodsy Owl? Probably. Um, wait, does that mean you saw the Ewan McGregor, Christopher Robin movie? I did. 
Because that's a very specific reference to it, which I saw on a plane. What's your excuse? Uh, you have a seven-year-old. I had a, yeah, I had a seven-year-old. Also, I'm a I'm a Winnie the Pooh devotee. Oh, we all love Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, he's a he has, wears no pants. He does stoutness exercises. He's he's unabashed about eating honey. Christopher right out of the, Robin. Right out of the bucket. Also, you, would you have a small smackerel of honey, if you please? <laughs> That's a great impression of Disney Pooh. It's not a great Winnie the Pooh. I played Christopher Robin in House at Pooh Corner in the Shoreline Community College production. Why was your from 1978? The college was doing Winnie the Pooh. They were, and everyone Don't else they have our town or something. Everyone else in the in the production was a college student, but they needed a for whatever reason. You know, most most community colleges in the 70s would have just picked a picked the smallest girl to play Christopher Robin, but in this case, they cast well to make the other animals seem smaller. You cast normal sized people as his animal friends, right? Well, i I was the I was 10 years old and and played Christopher Robin. It was like the, it was a big moment for me. Wait, was everybody a kid or were the animals humans? They were all. They so were, were the all, animals college students? They were all 20 years old. Except for Christopher Robin. Except for Christopher Robin. Oh, that is weird. And you know, and there's songs and there was dancing and. I was just hearing about, um, who told me the story? Somebody's uh, elementary school did Oliver. Is this my wife's story? But they cast, the faculty all wanted to be in it. So the kids played the orphans and then like the, the, Teachers were all cast as the speaking parts. Lame. Pretty lame. <laughs> so give me a line. What, what kind of thing would Christopher Robin say? Oh, he would say like, um, oh boy, I used to be able to do so you many could, lines you, from you House could, of Pooh Corner. You can do your whole spiel yeah, stuff? and now I'm on my, I can still do some lines here, from the Oris Diet. Here, I'll set you up. Uh, Christopher Robin, would you give me a small <laughs> smackerel of honey, if you please? And then what do you say? Um... Well, you know, it's funny. I when I started in the production, first few rehearsals, I tried to do Christopher Robin with a British accent. <laughs> Were you so told? I, so, and then the director was like, mm, <laughs> "Just do it. Just do it in a normal kid voice." Um, as I said, I don't know how we got on the track of that. How did we get on oh, the track of uh, that? Woods. Oh, the Brian woodsman Jones. came. Yes. So the woodsman actually named his granddaughter Vesla. Oh. In honor of his brush with fame. One more Vesla. Did she become an air hostess? Oh, wait. Vesna. Why am I saying Ves- Vesla? It's not Vesna. It's, it's not Vesla in a Tesla. It's Vesna in a Cessna. That's right. how you remember it. Vesna. Yeah, I don't know what happened to Vesna Honky. She was named Honky, so it's unfortunate. She's probably in an Elton John song. Only uh, only unfortunate now. At the <laughs> time, it was, a, it was considered a uh, badge, badge of honor. Well, her name was originally Vesla Peckerwood, which was crazy. Uh the uh, so when the MythBusters tr- tried this thing, they just had a you know they got a chunk of a plain fuselage and put a crash test dummy in it, kind of wedged between a bulkhead and a food cart, and had a, like a Sikorsky S fifty eight like lift it into the air, and they lifted it to two thousand feet, which is high enough for terminal velocity, and they dropped it, and it really the the dummy Buster did not survive impact. Buster was. Buster was busted, yes, hence the name. Um, but they did find that this probably was survivable if, you know, in a slightly different position. You know, you had to hit just right and you had to be in the right position relative to the geometry of the plane. Because those guys were dropping the fuselage on their uh, on their weird, like, East Bay airport. They weren't, it, it didn't hit a snow-covered mountain. They probably did not go to a tree-covered, yeah. snow-covered That was the X factor. Hill in the Czech Republic. Um, there is a conspiracy theory to explain why she alone survived. Oh, of course there is. Are you into I'm this? I'm sitting up in my chair now. In 2009, uh, some German magazine reporters uh, released a bombshell finding 
that in fact JAT-367 had been shot down by Czech air defense in some fashion, either a surface-to-air missile or even a, a, a missile from a MiG fighter jet, which was scrambled, oh, um, because this village was near some military target and they didn't recognize it as a commercial plane or or did and didn't care. There is a giant Czech military base in that part of the Czech Republic. And I know that because uh, having studied maps of- Because you infiltrated it. I did. I snuck in and I realized that I'll, it was just a, it was a giant uh, cinnamon roll factory. You lowered yourself from the ceiling like Tom Cruise <laughs> only to find it was an empty dun, dun, concrete dun, 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 dun. They bunker. Were, they were just making lace uh, doilies, <laughs> one of the main outputs of Bohemia. Were they in uniform? Were they in full military uniform making lace doilies? Lace doilies, yeah. Uh, That's crazy. It was, it was just like every James Bond movie and they were all beautiful. All yes. beautiful women. No, there's this giant part of Northern Czech Republic that you can't get past. It's like a big military base. And I tried and tried and tried to figure out what they were doing there. Um, but it, it, uh, it kept me from, from doing what I wanted to do, which was go from here to there across this place. You're just trying to find a, a, a path that goes through. Yeah. It was like, come on, one. there's gotta be a, and everything's kind of, everything in that point, part of the Czech Republic is funneled down to a, Super highway that kind of goes around this. Thing. It happens with our airbase here in the northwest. Yeah. It's the it's the only re, the only place traffic always backs up is by Lewis McCord. You want to go from Tacoma to Olympia by any other route? It's and, government. Uh, it's top secret. Yeah, the movie. So so what? Uh, any any evidence so th- to support this? The reporters, uh, in their own words, said they had many indications but no evidence. All their arguments are circumstantial. But there were many uh, eyewitnesses who hmm. purported who reported seeing a second plane. Hmm. Um, there is, but you know, here's the thing about eyewitnesses of plane crashes: they never know what's happening. They really don't. I mean, I, I went down a rabbit hole this weekend with my dad, who is obsessed with what really happened to TWA Flight 800. Yes, and in, in that case, that is a weird one because the majority of the witnesses did, did say they saw something heading. Upward toward the plane. Yes. Only to be told by the military, no, you actually saw something heading downward from the explosion and you got confused. Right. Which they do not find convincing. No, the flight, uh, TWA, TWA flight uh, 800 is one of those. Uh, Are you a believer? Well, no, it's just one where you where there are 50 people that saw what happened and they all tell a slightly different story. But, it, but I mean, it's an example of... This guy said it was a rocket. That guy said it was a... And the investigation came up empty. Like, they they really could not... Maybe a mechanical failure in one of the... In a wing, but, like, really no no sign of explosion. That was the one where they they thought it might be the, like... The fuel tank exploded. Was it the door with the short circuit in the fuel tank? Yes, it was. It is electrical. I remember. Blew it up, maybe. Yeah, and the pilots did report like weird behavior prior to because I mean it was just a what it was a what a hundred miles off Long Island or something. There was the one person that suggested it might have been some sort of gremlin on the wing that was throwing (laughs) parts of the. The plane into the engine? You hate, I mean, really, not a lot of planes can survive that. The, uh, I mean, that's a common one for conspiracy yeah. theorists. Yeah. Um, but this happens anytime there's a plane crash. Eyewitnesses have no idea what's going on because eyewitnesses are always terrible. But, uh, you know, Vulovich herself could offer no 
explanation either way because she does not remember anything after boarding. Really? Yeah, her memory has been wiped prior to that. She saw the guy looking sketchy. The sketchy guy in Copenhagen and then the flight boards. She could recall having a premonition and feeling like everyone else had a premonition. Does she remember cross-check? Who even knows? Yeah. Whatever that is, did she prepare for it? Did someone did someone push the uh, bing bell because they needed more ice? <laughs> she doesn't remember anything. And that's not uncommon for trauma. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever like lost memories before? No. Uh, I got in a I, I got in a swimming pool accident when I was the year the year I started college, and I almost died. Did a swimming pool crash into you? Uh, Brian Jones piloting a swimming pool. <laughs> No, the, the hundred acre wood. Here's the thing: I like Vesna. I have no idea what happened. I was just goofing around in a pool with my little sister, and suddenly somebody sees me floating in the wrong end of the pool. Well, I mean, there's no right place to float in a pool, but huh. and luckily, it, one of Hitler's stretcher bearers is there. The guy there happens. A, a guy. There's no lifeguard, but some guy happens to be there who knows CPR and, and proceeds to save my life. A woodman, presumably. A, a woodsman wanders into to view. Yeah. And, you know, to this day, nobody knows what happens. My sister was really little and wasn't really looking. Did I get kicked in the solar plexus and swallow a bunch of pool? Nobody really knows what happened. But I don't remember, like, the whole day is gone. Wow. I had watched episode five of Ken Burns' The Civil War that morning and then gone to hang out at the pool. And then, you know, a week later when I come home from the hospital, after my parents being told I'm going to have brain damage or whatever, I, I make it home, like, less than a week later, and I put on episode five of The Civil War, and I have no memory of... Uh, who wins Vicksburg? Like it's huh. as if it never happened. Uh, maybe this is the secret. We've been looking for the for the secret of your of your your superpowers, and maybe this is your this is your origin story. No, here's the thing. I was I was smarter before. Uh, this is uh, we have no evidence of that. This though. is like dueling left handed. <laughs> <laughs> no, you have to take, you have to take my word for it. Um, so nobody can say really the 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 fact that the black boxes were examined in Amsterdam and the flight data actually says no, this flight was not because in the in the German reporter's view, the reason why she survived is because it happened at a much the plane was actually at a much lower altitude. Huh. And but like you say, terminal velocity, none of that matters. Sure. If it's above 2,000 feet, who cares? I mean, she pa- at 30,000 feet, you can't live, but you could pass out and survive the presumably, what, one minute that it would yeah, take it to w- fall? It won't be that long. Yeah. Uh, and especially if you have low blood pressure and can fall in some... Floppy cat way. Floppy ragdoll way. Um after the accident, Vulovich, now a celebrity, uh, wants to go back to her old job. She is tough as nails. The uh, And when she flies, of course, people think of her as a good luck charm. Everybody right. wants to sit by her. Right. I would think that's somebody whose number was up. I would sit as far away <laughs> from possible. And maybe that's what the airline's thinking, because they do not want somebody on their planes who's a symbol of uh, JAT plane crashes. Yeah, sure. She has moved to a desk job handling their freight operations, even though she's annoyed. That's pretty annoying. That. I find that annoying. She wanted to keep handing out uh, Pepsi, the only I'm sure the only beverage they had on JAT. I mean, I would I would have a, I would have made her a vice president of the airline. I know. Put her on the tail like the <laughs> like the Inuit guy on Alaska. She, uh, but she, yeah, she was um, physically she was fine. She was not traumatized because of the amnesia. She would watch movies about plane crashes and enjoy them. Whoa! But she did feel a lot of. Uh, survivor's guilt. Um, Lost a lot of friends that day. I mean, they were probably just acquaintances, honestly. But I guess this, I guess survivor's guilt doesn't matter. Even, you know, if 28 people die under your charge and you're the only survivor, it doesn't matter whether you knew them or not, I guess. 
Like just the fact that you were chosen by the hand of fate yeah. is troubling to people. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and yeah, I got to say she used her fame for good. In the 90s, after uh, Milosevic's Serbian Nationalist Party took over Yugoslavia, she opposed him. She used her celebrity to uh, oppose him. Um, she was a, a vocal... Uh, she and then later the ultra right parties that spawned in his wake. She would uh, actively campaign from within. Not she wasn't living in Amsterdam at this time. No, she stayed in. She stayed in. Uh, in the East. she died in. She lived and died in Serbia. Um, in two thousand, when Milosevic actually lost, she uh, she was one of the local heroes up on the balcony giving victory speeches. You know, Vaclav Havel style. Right. So she really became a symbol of uh, of the future of. Serbia, and she uh, she lived till 2016, four years ago, after her neighbors hadn't heard from her. Somebody opened her door and found that she had died of a heart attack in her uh, apartment. Uh, but she lived for, what, uh, 45 years after her incident. And, you know, you'd think, I don't know, if that happened to you, what would it do to you? Would you, would you become an optimist? Would you become a pessimist? How would you see your life differently if you wandered away from the plane crash like... Um, like Jeff Bridges in that movie. I do feel like there's a, there's a, a thing that maybe accompanies people through life um, where you're wondering if it's going to, where you have to imagine like, is there something that's going to interrupt the course of my long life? Where you imagine I'm going to live to be 85 I or 90 years old. I assume I will, but. But is there somebody that's going to, a car coming out of nowhere, Something gonna gonna kill me before I, my natural span, and if this happened, if you fell out of an, the sky, fell thirty thousand feet, and were discovered by a woodman, uh, I think you would feel like you'd survived your encounter with um, with the salmon moose or whatever, and now you were now you were safe, you were free to live it out. I might feel the other way. I might feel like I had pushed my like I'd used up all my luck at once. Oh. Uh, because I feel that way in my normal life. Like uh, I've been weirdly insulated from bad luck and I, I keep having really kind of appallingly good luck. And, you know, when's the tumor coming? Well, you yeah. Know? I mean, I, Cause I we don't, all have a finite amount of luck. It, I it's don't wish get to zero. a tumor on you, but I do want to see you chop down a, a peg. Just a peg though. <laughs> just one, just a peg, just a normal peg. You don't, you don't want, you don't, you're not wishing my death. No, no, no. I just think that the, you know, you're having your house painted right now and I wouldn't mind if it, if it went a little bit over budget. <laughs> what if I dislike the color? Yeah, exactly. You're That's, like, oh. I thought it would be a little more gray. That's a little too yeah, blue. It's like so beigey. In, uh, I it, feel like of the nine lives that I was granted, I feel like I've used six, but I'm being very careful with the remaining three. So you're like me too. You believe there's a finite amount of, of karma yeah, you, can, you can abuse. Uh, Volovich told an interviewer, everyone thinks I am lucky, but they are mistaken. If I were lucky, I would never have had this accident. <laughs> and then she goes on to say, like, you know, the accident ended up ruining her parents' lives. And she, she says, maybe I was born in the wrong place. Maybe it was a bad place. She actually believes she was born under a bad sign. People, Lucky people never have a plane blow up at 33,000 feet. Interesting. I mean, it is an interesting way of seeing the... It's a huge theological question, right? Right. Where, uh, you know, uh, if you're a religious person, you have an impulse to thank God for the good things that happened to you. They are literally blessings. He has he has pointed a wand with a star at the end at you and made something good happen. But the implications are troubling because that means he has chosen to not do the same for other people. So anytime you say, 
I mean, I think about this all the time because in a religious congregation, this is a live matter. Somebody will say, you know, God has blessed us with a baby, and the the, the couple in the congregation that's having a hard time conceiving thinks, why is God punishing me? Right, or 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 well, especially if your child died in infancy. Sure, exactly. God healed God healed my dad when he was sick. Somebody who's just had a death in the family will think, why did God smite? My father, religion's all kind of on this tricky. I mean, yeah. Western religion's kind of on this tricky tightrope of thinking. Well, you credit God with, with God does the, the good things, good stuff, but, and the bad stuff is either the devil or God wasn't paying attention or something. I mean, if God's if God's omnipotent and omniscient, there's no way around it. He right. could have stopped the bad things, even if he doesn't want them to happen. Even oh, if he's he's testing your faith, even if he's not blowing up. Right, you have to you have to get to you have to get to some third level thing. Like, well, he he did allow it to happen, but for some good we don't see. Or he has to let both happen for us to learn these lessons, but he'll make sure more good happens than bad. Or the the bad will be temporary, but the good will be longer lasting. You have to have shenanigans like that. Even in a secular context, I think that there, I think a lot of people regard a successful life as one where you are, you're able to live it without ever really sticking your head up above the parapet. Yeah. You know, like, you don't become famous or known. What you have is a you have a, a a healthy family who love you, and you all have um, you know meals together. And then in the end, you die peacefully without ever having felt any hardship or doubt. I think that's a hundred percent correct too. That life is much. I think that life is actually better. And than, I think a lot one of people that comes with one fame it. and fortune. But in this case, she as a result of her accident became famous, and then in and then. At, it turns out played an important role or a role in the larger world of politics and from from our standpoint yours and mine people that are that have achieved a certain um, some amount of notoriety in the world it seems like that would be an evolution or a, an an improvement she was plucked from obscurity and made into someone who mattered but you could honestly see that as a curse or a lot of people I'm, I'm assuming would think couldn't i have just lived a quiet life the most optimistic thing she could ever think to say the lesson she learned from her her fall was if you can survive what i survived you can survive anything and i guess that is true if something bad happens to you today john or a future listener you can think to yourself at least my plane didn't just depressurize at thirty-three thousand feet over a mountain in czechoslovakia i mean not literally, emotionally. Yeah, there's one time you can't t- tell yourself that, which is if your plane is depressurizing at 33,000 feet. But I'm, I feel like emotionally my plane depressurizes at 30,000 feet like every other week. But if you had to choose between an emotional depressurization and a uh, JAT Flight 367 one, you would probably take the you would probably take the, the moment of crisis arguing online or something, right? Boy, I don't know. And that concludes Vesna Vulovic. It's a little bit like a Y. Entry 1404.EC0410, certificate number 33008 in the Omnibus. Futurelings, in the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram are the equivalent of a plane depressurization. A constant slow motion plane depressurization. But what's leaking out is the sanity of our culture. Is Ken's great 
tweets at Ken Jennings. Uh, my uh, my tweets now have turned into once a week. I either tweet about Star Wars or start an argument about New York style pizza, and the rest of the time I'm just like making jokes with my regular friends. But, I just I just yell at Elon Musk all day. Yeah, I know that's been so exciting. Elon, really, you got up under his skin, didn't you? I don't know. He's mad at you. Although I don't I don't get a sense. I don't have a sense of how many people Elon Musk is yelling at on Twitter at any given time. Also, like, how high is he at any given time? He probably doesn't care that much. Yeah, he's all if Adderall. He's, if he's out, tweeting he? at me at 4 a.m., he's he's smoking the joint. He doesn't remember tomorrow. Um, you can go to my Instagram account and see uh, see pictures of my my um, quarant- my quarantine beard. Oh, thank goodness. As it gets longer and longer. And, uh, of course, Futurelings are looking back at the progress of my quarantine beard, realizing from their perspective that it was my beard that became sentient that spawned an entire new life form. Look at those ecosystems in there. Yeah. I mean, by the time this gets added to the omnibus, uh, haircuts will be allowed again. Do you plan on continuing the beard? I don't know if that's true. I think by the time the, this episode of omnibus comes out, we may be in uh, the second stage of the plague. All Maybe it, the third stage. When... Uh, what? Uh, Only my beard survives. <laughs> oh, I see. Your beard is it. Uh, you may email us with your own uh, with your own stories of falling from airplanes at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. Um, you can talk about this stuff uh, on uh, the Futurelings groups in various places online. Just type Futurelings into your aggregator and... Um, and you'll find all the futurelings and uh, spread far and wide. I'm sure they all have stories about either Serbia or woodsmen, or somebody's going to yell at me that the the mountains in northern Czech Republic are not part of the Carpathians. I'm, I'm I feel like it's something that I'm not I'm not that's not a hill I'm going to die on. You're going to have people Slav explaining you. Really, it's they're the technically they're different. I know that, but at the same time, not really. Do you believe all Central European mountains are, are Carpathian in yes, spirit? Yes, that's the problem. I do. I believe that everything that isn't an Alp is a Carpathian. <laughs> Those are t- there's two <laughs> kinds of European peaks. Uh, you can mail us things at P.O. Box, but do not mail us a bomb because it will not go off at 30,000 feet. It will go off right here, like 15 feet underground where we record Omnibus in our bunker. We will not survive it, in other words, at P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. And if you are so inclined to support the show with your generous contribution, you can uh, you can donate to our production at patreon.com slash omnibusproject. Keep us independent. Otherwise, we're just going to find the most evil company we can and sell the show out again to them. Who, uh, what is the most evil company you can think of? Tesla. Is that right? You, no. You've become, a, you've become such a Musk hater. <laughs> well, he's the only CEO that's like uh, called me a knucklehead online in the last 24 hours. I guess that's right. No, uh, it is, uh, we'll sell out to... Um, the Koch brothers. Yes. We'll be, we will, we'll allow our show to be promoted by General Dynamics. We'll sell out to Blackwater or oh, some, yeah. or some weird soldier of fortune type outfit. Although that, that seems pretty cool. That would be pretty cool. <laughs> I would hundred percent sell the show to Blackwater. <laughs> Listeners, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. But as Vesna said, if you can survive what she survived, you can survive anything. And in that spirit, we hope and pray that the catastrophe 
never arrives. If the worst comes soon, this recording could be our final word to you. If providence allows. We hope that's not the case. We hope we will be back with you again soon for another entry in the Omnibus. <laughs>